Welcome to another episode of the No Lame Views Podcast with Brandon Mintz and Harris Eisenberg. Obviously, are going to have to touch on a pretty disappointing week in New York football here. We saw the debacle that just went down on Thursday Night Football for the Miami Dolphins. I mean, a lot to get to in with the Dolphins specifically between their their big win last week over the Bills and now this this just tumultuous loss to the Bengals losing their starting quarterback to attack of Iowa. But I, I think for me, it's the, the easiest place to start here is with the Jets. Following their, their just stunning come-from-behind victory over the Cleveland Browns, they, they sort of showed what they were out of that last couple minutes of that Browns victory, and that was a, a pretty sloppy football team. And they go out there this week, uh, and, they, and they lose 27-12 to against the Cincinnati Bengals. And it was a, a coming-back-to-reality game, I think, for Joe Flacco. I think it sort of showed that Joe Flacco really – was never that great to begin with. And, and it really, I think it goes to show how just like that a little segment of time, that last couple of minutes of that Browns victory could just cloud your judgment so much to th- into thinking if he gets this win here, is he the starter? All that nonsense. And it was put to bed. I'm not happy about it because I would have loved him to pull this win out and then still go back to Zach. If you haven't seen yet, Zach Wilson is active and will be starting this upcoming weekend's the Pittsburgh Steel. Great news. We'll get into that a little bit, but going back to, to last week here, Joe Flacco, he goes 28 for 52 with 285 pass yards, two picks, and no interceptions. And I don't know what number could stand out more in this game than the 52. 52 pass attempts for Joe Flacco. And, and you know what? Definitely some of it is on him for we, we, we've detailed his lack of mobility. And, and really, he, he still has the arm strength, but just not the accuracy that he, he clearly had in his prime in Baltimore. But to be fair, anytime you're putting a guy like Flacco with his limitations in a situation where he has to throw the ball, 52 times granted they were down early so a lot the game script lended itself to a lot of passing plays 52 pass attempts for Joe Flacco is never gonna cut it and and we saw that in this game they were not able to keep up with the Bengals high-powered offense Joe Burrow Jamar Chase Higgins and and it was just a, a pretty disappointing crash back down to earth type performance for the Jets there's there's really a lot of stuff I want to dive into here, but Harris, first, your initial thoughts on, on the Jets' performance. Well, the 52 passes is definitely way too much, especially when you have a rookie running back at Brees Hall and you have Michael Carter, who are I think are two really reliable running backs to turn to. And you're right, you know, the accuracy just wasn't there. But I think another thing that is kind of noticeable with the Jets, at least in their week in that week three game against the Bengals, was just uh, I thought the defense kind of took a step back you know, to be honest with you, you know, there was a lot of critiques uh, on, on Quinn and Williams um, third down. They struggled on, I, I think I, you know, I just read a stat before we got on here that said the, the jets have allowed 51% of third downs to be converted by opposing teams, which is like second most in the league. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. And again, you know, Cincinnati's got a really good offense. You got to give credit to them, but I, I just don't think, you know, whoever's calling the plays, it really helped out their team with, with having Joe Flacco throw the football 52 times. I just don't think that was the right thing to do. But again, you know, we're glad that Joe Flacco won the Jets one game, right? Because, you know, you go to Zach Wilson now and, and now the optimism starts. So, you know, again, I think another mismanaged game by the Jets, to be honest with you. And, and it's frustrating when, when the loss 
when the losses are blamed on mismanagement because, you know, Joe Flacco throwing the ball 52 times is unacceptable and it could easily be fixed. The defense on third down and, and running the right players out there on the defensive end on third down is definitely something that can be fixed. So that's, I think, the frustrating part for Jets fans. But, you know, I think it's exciting that there's optimism coming in week four. I just wish, you know, Robert Sala would just do a little better job of coaching this football team. Because to be honest with you, you know, we said it before week two about his comments and yada, 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 whatever. But if you go through the first three weeks, has he done a good job as head coach? And I I, I just don't think so, to be honest with you. I mean, some stuff has got to get tightened up. I mean, there's you have I don't know if you saw this early in the game critical third down here trying to get a stop get the ball back and John Franklin Myers gets called for an unnecessary roughness after it just just hitting Burrow weight and this third this is a third down throw that's incomplete you give the ball back a fresh set of down to the Bengals and what do they do a big play to Tyra Boyd later and the Bengals go in and score and in, and the Jets increase their deficit it's like those little things are such momentum shifts and huge turning points in a game when you have a stop and you're able to get some early momentum going your way and you just give the ball right back and you just totally deflate your side on you have like you mentioned the Quinn and Williams situation you some comments about him by defensive coordinator Jeff Olberg about him gasping for air I I they even with Quinn and Williams getting into it I believe it was the defensive line coach they so clearly something's going on with Quinn in there and the defensive coaching staff that is not gelling and that is a problem because if this Jets defense is going to be what we we're what we we're anticipating Quinn and Williams is going to be an integral part of it I mean this is this is a guy here third overall pick came out and, and it's had some really back-to-back productive seasons when he's healthy after a disappointing rookie year. And if, if Quinnen's not going to be da- out there on the field every like for a majority of the plays, the defense is not going to be able to live up to its expectations. And I think that defensive line is a big point of emphasis right now where we thought this was such a big opportunity for the defensive line to really have its coming out party. And a team that has been actively trying to kill its quarterback and this is that Cincinnati Bengals offensive line was able to protect Joe Burrow, honestly, in, a, in like to the best of its ability. Like, like he really was not hit that much. And the, the group of Carl Lawson and JFM Quinnen, um, Jermaine Johnson, they just were not really able to put that pressure on Joe Burrow that we thought would have really influenced this game. So that that's very disappointing to see because this is a pass rush that had some high expectations and to fall flat against a team that had been the worst in the league at protecting its quarterback. I, I was looking for more out of the defensive line. Yeah. And especially from on the Quinn and Williams standpoint in the comments, you know, you hope this kind of drives them in a way, but at the same time, it's like, was this necessary? You know, and, and I understand that Quinn's, you know, he's only playing about 50 to 60% of the snaps anyways, which I think is low for a guy like he's, you brought Quinn Williams here with your third overall pick because he's supposed to be your guy. Right. And, and it's just, it's not that it's not working. I just don't think he's getting enough reps there on the, on, on the defensive line, to be honest with you. I think his usage has been way down this year. Um, and maybe, maybe it's because he is gasping for air, but I just don't think that's something that should be said. I think that's something that should be kept internal, but again, you know, New York media, you know, that's, that's just what they do. And, you know, you can say it's two instances now where, where coaches comments that have been a headline through three weeks of football. I mean, it's like, what are we doing here? This is, this is you can't have this dysfunction in an organization when you're when your coaches are calling this these nonsense comments out, especially when you guys your third overall pick. I mean, either use them or, or don't speak out about them on the media. That's on you if you're the coach. You know, that's on you to figure them out. Not 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 to say he's gasping for air. Well, if he's gasping for air, figure it out. <laughs> you, you could know? you could go with this type of nonsense in smaller markets, but if you think that 
any of this is going to slide in New York when when you're absolutely entrenched in media coverage and fan interaction and engagement 24 seven, it's just not going to happen. So I think we really got to, I mean, the conversations I'm having, like I try to defend Robert Sauer to the best of my ability. Cause I will admit a year out from the jets in after year one of Adam Gase, when I saw the writing was on the wall, I'm like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to start looking at other possible candidates. And it was Robert Sauer's energy and passion that really attracted attracted me to him as a potential candidate and I was thrilled when they hired him and I'm not I'm definitely not giving up on him yet but like it, it's really starting there's starting to be some some issues that I think the, the organization is taking notice of so I really I'm really hoping he's able to turn this around here uh let's let's hit talk about an injury real fast George Fant goes to the IR yet another projected starting offensive lineman that the Jets lose to the injury bug first it's Mackay Beckton for the season one of your starting ta- one of your starting tackles then his replacement, Dwayne Brown, goes to the IR. And now you lose the guy that was supposed to start across both of them and George Fant. So now your, your exterior offensive line has been completely decimated. Not particularly good when you're, A, working with an immobile quarterback with Joe Flacco. And, B, you're getting your quarterback back in Zach Wilson, who's been dealing with injury for the last couple of months. So that's a pretty big, a pretty big loss there. They, they did sign veteran tackle Mike Remmers. Throughout the week, he's signing with the Jets practice squad and will be activated as, as soon as he's really caught up the speed with the playbook. He started 90 games in his career. He's had a little bit at left tackle and right tackle. He's leaned a little bit more action at right tackle, but he's he's even slotting into guard too. So I think getting a versatile, a versatile veteran swing tackle that can sort of move across the line is is at least some a step in the right direction here for this for this ailing Jets offensive line. Yeah, and I think they needed the experience as well. And, you know, that's one of, the, one of the reasons why they brought George Fant in in the first place was that, you know, he's had experience in other places. So I think that's a big thing as well. But, you know, I think it's hard for Zach Wilson to know that, you know, he's about to step back into the pocket dealing with injury that, you know, what is it, two, three of the, the three linemen that have started games this year are all on the shelf. I mean, that's difficult for a young quarterback to come in. I think a lot of it's going to be on his shoulders. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Look, we know Joe Flacco's immobile. He shouldn't have thrown the ball 52 times. Zach Wilson is not throwing the ball 52 times, but there's a difference. Zach Wilson can use his legs. And if you have all these guys out, you better say a prayer that your offensive line's in shape because if Zach Wilson is not able to use his legs to, to take advantage of making some good offensive plays, it's going to be trouble. It, it just is. Absolutely. And, and I think it, this is, this is what we've been waiting for. When we did our preview show on what the 2022 New York Jets are going to be all about, it is, it lives and dies with number two. And, and Zach Wilson is going to come in here now with by far the best weapons that he has had in his career in comparison to last year. And for for that many Jets rookie quarterback of recent memory has had, you have now 10th overall pick Garrett Wilson, who has caught a lot of people's attention. You have Last year's early second round pick on Elijah Moore, who I think a lot of a lot of Jets fans and and I'm just I'm very entrenched in the fantasy football community. This is a guy that a lot of people are waiting to have that breakout game, and and I think we get the return of Zach could very much help that out. I also think as Garrett keeps establishing himself, it's just going to be a natural give and take where defenses start putting a little more attention on him, opens up some some opportunities for Elijah, and he could really get going what he did last year. But I think Elijah Moore is, is someone that's going to be very well utilized by Zach Wilson. And like you mentioned, this run game here, Brees Hall and Michael Carter, and Brees Hall is a guy here that you obviously – invest very highly for a running back. He was in, they traded up into the early second round in this last pass draft, the at Brees. 
And you could tell that this is a guy that they're going to be incorporating into the offense more and more every week. This, this timeshare that we mentioned after week one, that was so dominantly Michael Carter is now just solely shifting to the point where Brees is taking more responsibility on the ground, more responsibility in the air. And I think huge things are coming for Brees Hall this season. I know from the, especially in the fantasy community, this is a guy that is a fantastic buy right now. If you're looking for a guy that's going to keep trending upward, his target share for running backs, he's getting as many passing opportunities in the week from a running back. And I think that's because he's, he's just looked so good. He looked explosive. He's hitting the right holes. I love Michael Carter. I think he's a great complimentary back, a good guy to come in on some third downs. But I think this is about to be the Brees Hall show sooner than I actually thought. And as a Jets fan and a dynasty fantasy football owner of Brees Hall, it's very exciting times ahead. Well, yeah, it's it's optimism. And again, look, again, you said it started with Zach Wilson, right? You just hope the Jets got a win before he got back, right? I think anything more than one win before Zach Wilson showed up, I think you you, you were kind of overthinking the situation a little bit. They got a win for him. So we'll see what he can do with it now. And you mentioned Brees Hall. I agree. You know, I think a lot of people are a little surprised at the fact that Michael Carter isn't playing that much, but I mean, Brees Hall has been really good. I mean, he's got so much upside and a lot of potential and you know, the receiving core, I still think is, is very good to me. You know, I think it's definitely serviceable when you have a number one quarterback out there. Um, I just hope they manage the whole thing. Right. I, I just hope they do, you know, and I think now's the time where, you know, Sal has got the pieces. They're all here. Right. Uh, it's just, you know, you hope it gets managed. Right. You really do. But you know, High level of optimism for the Jets. I'm excited to see what they do this week. Um, and we'll see where it goes from there. I think Zach Wilson has shown a lot of maturity, especially at the end of his first year. And you just hear the same thing at practices and stuff. And, and you know, they're excited to have him back. He's a glue guy, clearly. And he's proven a leader at such a young age. You know, but we'll see. Uh, I think it's a good thing, but you just hope it gets managed right. Now, it's a very interesting spot here with his return coming here in week four against the Pittsburgh Steelers on the road. So the Steelers are a team this year is if you've watched any Pittsburgh Steelers football this year at all, you've seen that they have some issues moving the ball. Mitch Trubisky has not been great at using those high octane weapons like Najee Harris, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, etc. So this could potentially benefit Zach in a way that it's not going to have to be a shootout right off the bat. This has the makings, in my opinion, of one of those ugly, grinded-out games where you don't need Zach to be at his absolute best when it comes to his dynamic and mobility. Don't get me wrong. Any time you go to Pittsburgh, it is going to be a tough that, – That's this. they will never – the Pittsburgh Steelers will never be a gimme at Heinz Field. I know they changed their name, but I'm rolling with Heinz. Have to. There's, there's, I will never call it anything else. I completely agree there. But, like – especially as long as Mike Tomlin is their head coach, they will never roll over. That is a well-coached team. That is a building and a fan base that are always going to come out and support them. So I think you've got to go in there knowing that this is going to be, and I, I believe we're, they're going to be missing TJ Watt. So obviously the heartbeat and the, one of the best defensive players and playmakers in the league. But regardless of all that, I just much respect for the Steelers and what they represent that this is going to be one of those games. I think you're going to have to grind it out. It's going to be about a lot of, a lot of fortitude, third down conversions, third down stops, playing the field position. It's going to be the small things that could really turn the tide in this one. So I like that Zach's not coming back in a game potentially against a fully healthy Dolphins or rolling up against, I mean, we, we've already seen what the Ravens are all about this year. That would require a lot more out of him coming back. I think you're going to have to worry about that Steelers pass rush getting to Zach. But I think there is some hope in the fact that 
the Steelers are not going to put immense pressure offensively on the Jets because we've seen their limitations with Trubisky at the helm. Yeah, we saw, you know, look at Pittsburgh's, uh, look at their, look at their wins, right? They, they don't score a lot of points. And, you know, I do agree. Like, Hines is a hard place to play. It, it really is. And Tomlin's such a good coach. I think for the Jets, it's more of a mindset thing. You know, you got to go in there and say, hey, we got all these pieces. Um, we're one and two. Let's go in there like we have nothing to lose. That's the way I look at it. You know, if 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 you lose to the Steelers, you lose to the Steelers. It's a hard place to play. They got a good defense, yada, yada, yada. But I think for the Jets' offensive standpoint, you got to go in there and just, just say, screw it. You know, just go in there, have nothing to lose. Just play your heart out. And, you know, again, it's, and that side for the Jets comes down to coaching a little bit because I do think this group has a lot of heart. I do think this group has a lot of internal optimism that nobody knows about. And I think, you know, the Jets coaching staff is not in a good place with the way they've managed things. So, you know, I hope both sides can get on the same page here and say, let's go get, have nothing to lose and win a football game. I think it's a winnable game for the Jets. I do. You know, I looked at the lines earlier before we got on here, you know, they both say six and a half. And I, I, you know, I think it could be less, a line could be less than that for this game, to be honest with you. So, you know, we'll see what they can do. I'm excited to see Zach back. I'll leave it at this. The Steelers rank. 32nd, which is last in the NFL in yards per game at just shy of 280 yards per game. This is a big opportunity for the offense to really put put the throttle on a team, and there's a big opportunity for the defense to take advantage of a team that's having difficulty offensively. In regards to what you just said, I think that I've seen everywhere I've checked that that Jets spread is around three and a half. So I think this is more of one of those games that at least the odds makers see it as on that flip side of a field goal. I, I The only teams I think favored by a touchdown or more this week are the Eagles and Packers. So you might've just mixed up the lines there. I just wanted to clarify that, but there is another New York team that we have to, of course, discuss here. And it would be the New York football giants. I hate to break it to you. It, it appears that 17 and 0 is not happening this year. I, I know the giants fans and, and Brian Dable, it was, things are looking up and, and they still definitely are, but the dream's over. We're not going to match the Patriots and, and run the table, even though this would beat that. Cause now we have that 17th regular season game. But all things aside, the Giants lose 21-13 against the Dallas Cowboys on Monday Night Football. And, and, and you know, I, I don't think there is as many huge storylines and, and criticisms that, as, that the, I, I had to give to the Jets for the Giants in this one. I mean, there's, there's some clear issues here. I think the receiving core is one that we've hit on early and often with this Giants team, and it, it has – it's something that's going to be prevalent again this week. Now you have Kadarius Tony ruled out, Wandale Robinson ruled out. You lose Sterling Shepard to a torn ACL. His season's over. So you're, you're going in there with a, a receiving core led by Richie James and the ghost of Kenny Galladay. So that's not great for Daniel Jones. But when you look at this game, I mean, my biggest takeaway was that the Giants' offensive line did Daniel Jones zero favors. Right. He was sacked five times, and every time I looked it up at the screen. I thought Daniel Jones was getting crushed into a million pieces. I mean, it was like, that was one of those games where I honestly, I, I think I've probably been pretty hard on Daniel Jones between the two of us on this podcast. And I, I think I got to commend him in this situation where it's, it's a big game here. You're playing a division rival. They obviously have a really great pass rush Demarcus Lawrence, the all world, Michael, Par Micah Parsons and they Evan Neal, Obviously, this is a guy no one's giving up on Evan Neal, top 10 pick, one of the best offensive line prospects in last year's class. He, he looked like a college player 
out there on in the big spot. He it was he was getting beat off the step. Every move in the books was working and coming out on him. It was big penalties, false starts. Everything that could have went wrong for Neil really did get did go wrong. And of course, it's it, there's going to be early growing pains for offensive linemen. I mean, Giants fans were ready to boot Andrew Thomas out of town, and now he's absolutely been nothing but dynamite for the last couple of years. But I think Daniel Jones kept it together in this one. I don't think he did anything to put the Giants in a great position to win, but I don't think he lost the game for them either. So, I, I mean, really just sort of a mad performance by the Giants. Cooper, like on the Cowboys side, got to give Cooper Rush credit. He's 3-0 and as a starter in the NFL, and he looked he looked pretty solid. I mean, I, I mean, I know you got some – you got a little bit more on the Giants to say than me. So, Harris, let's hear your thoughts. No, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head right there. You know, Evan Neal was getting walked a lot in that game. I mean, that was hard to watch. And, you know – I'll say this before I dive into the Giants really that much. Cooper Rush, huh, he looked really good on Monday, to be honest with you. I mean, tough place to play when life's rocking. It's prime time Monday night football. He comes in there. I mean, I give him a lot of credit. He was accurate with his throws, and he didn't seem phased at all because, you know, CeeDee Lamb let him down a couple times in that game, but also CeeDee Lamb helped him out too. So, you know, good on Cooper Rush. But I, I think uh, from the Giants' standpoint, you know, you touched on it. The offensive line was awful. You know, Saquon made plays when he, when he, when he could, you know, Daniel Jones did his thing. I can't blame Daniel Jones for this one. I love the fact that Brian Dable was, was, you know, passionate on the sidelines like he always is. And, you know, I just got Kenny Galladay. I mean, what are we doing here? You know, he, he, I know he had a couple drops, but there was one big one on third down at the end, uh, at the, in the end. fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the My fourth quarter. Goodness, I mean, what was that a backbreaker? Yeah, I mean, we're paying this, you know, seventy-two million dollars for this, really, and he's complaining about not getting on the field and being a number one receiver. Catch the ball. <laughs> I mean, it's simple as that. I mean, he was lucky he even got targeted in that play. To be honest with you, especially the way Daniel Jones has been throwing to Richie James. I mean, give credit to Richie James; he's been really good. Um, but now the problem becomes with Kenny Galladay being so bad is that Sterling Shepard being out for the year is going to hurt this team immensely, in my opinion. And, you know, I was having a little debate or I saw a little debate and I wanted to get your take on this, the whole turf versus grass whole, whole, whole ordeal here, because, you know, I, I just want to hear what you think, because, you know, I do understand that the, the the backlash on turf makes sense. It's bouncy. It's not that giving, but you know that's just a new era of football, and I think people just have to deal with it. So, just wanted to get your thoughts on that. You know, I think it's one of those things where my take on it would be to defer to the guys that have played on it day in day out for their entire careers, and it feels like every single player has said that every it should be unanimous amongst all NFL stadiums that it should be required to have grass. We hear the nature that that turf is, is a little more stiff it, at the end of the day, it, that is not natural. And there's, there's a layer of, of hard concrete underneath it. Whereas grass is it's, it's dirt and it's a little more giving. And it, we, we've seen how it has the ability to lead to less lower extremity injuries. And I mean, even here in, I'm, I'm going to play doctor, but like you would have to think in the case of Tua, if your head is not slamming on turf as and it's potentially grass something a little more giving you don't know how that reacts so i would say i i'd have to side with the players here on the fact that grass is is a better option for player safety and i think that should be put first and where the nfl is is so filled with money that 
there should be no issue for these teams to accommodate to the players and rip out their turf and put in grass. And if the issue is, I, I, I was talking to someone about it, like the, the, the maintenance of grass is probably the thing that causes the, the biggest expense to the owners. Well, your product is taking a way bigger hit when you have guys like Sterling Shepard going out for the season because of your, what they're playing on than paying an extra guy to maintain the grass season long. So that's my thoughts. I think if the players are this strongly turf, why aren't we listening to the guys that are, that know this better than anyone? Right. Well, player safety is going to take a hard hit on this podcast oh, um, <laughs> because we got more on that in a bit, but yeah, you know, like, like I said, you know, I agree with everything you said about Daniel Jones. Definitely wasn't on him. Definitely wasn't on the coaching, you know, the offensive line had a bad game. It's going to happen. You know, I think the offensive line still has some things to work out, but now you go into week four, right. And you're still at home. And the Giants fans still have a lot of optimism. And you play winnable game. Yeah, another winnable game winnable against game. the Bears, right? I, I, I think this, you know, it sets up for the Giants really well. You may hear a pick later on uh, um, in this podcast that might side with the Giants here, uh, not giving anything away. But, um, you know, another winnable game, right? You know, Dallas is a winnable game. Didn't come out the way they wanted to. You didn't think Tennessee was a winnable game in week one, right? So, you know, again, Giants fans have reason to be excited. It's disappointing that Monday turned out the way it could have been, especially with the way the score was and how crappy the offensive line was, but you know, maybe they'll step up, you know, Dable's a really good coach is what we've seen and, you know, on to playing the bears. I think that's an exciting game for, for, uh, for Sunday. It was definitely nice to see Saquon look good again, 126 all purpose yards and another touchdown. It, it seems that this was not just the, a quick flash in the pan that week one performance by Saquon. It seems that Saquon is really back to at least a good, a good part of what he, what he was early in his career. So that's definitely huge for the giants and, and Cooper. I was just going to my head there. We we've been so focused on this potential QB controversy in New York. I mean, Dak Prescott, you got your job because Tony Romo got injured and you came in and capitalized. Don't give Cooper Rush too many more opportunities, my friend. He looks really solid, and I, I'm obviously partially kidding here, but there's a little bit of me that is a little bit serious. So I think I, it's fun. He looked really good, to be honest with you. He was accurate. I, I thought he threw the ball with, with a lot of intent, which is something that young quarterbacks struggle to do in this league. I mean, he looked like a really mature NFL quarterback to me on Monday night in the big-time bright lights on a Monday night football game in New York. He really did. They asked Jerry Jones uh, about – I mean, I feel like almost facetiously if Dak Prescott's going to come back and start and, and Jerry sort of didn't, he, he sort of didn't give in too much there. He was sort of like, having two good quarterbacks isn't a bad problem. So, I mean, I, I think it's obvious that when he's healthy, Dak's going to take over, but just, just something interesting to keep an eye out if you're, if you're a Cowboys fan, but, but like you said, the bears, I mean, a very winnable game. There is a wide open opportunity here. The, the giants at home again. Yes. Giants at home again here on your home field against the bears team that has somehow found its way two and one. I mean, it, the, the Chicago Bears can't throw the football. No. Like, they cannot throw the football. And and they're, if you saw the injury report, no David Montgomery. I think that's actually probably a bad thing for the Giants because I think at this point in time, Khalil Herbert is the way more explosive back. He's the second-year running back that is going to take over a huge workload this week, and, and he's looked really good every time he gets an opportunity. But at the end of the day, there's no reason the Giants cannot go out there on your home field and take care of sort of a fraudulent two and one bears team and, and move to three and one in their own right and keep pace with sort of the, the better teams in the NFC. Not that I think that is where the giants are going to lie come the end of the season. But as of now, there's no reason not to take advantage of this 
this early season light schedule. So I think it's a it's a good chance for for Daniel Jones. I mean, if he could get any more protection to really I mean, the Giants offense here and I know they're going to be limited. I mean, Kenny Galladay, you have talked a big game. You got paid a big contract and you've come up massively short with your on-field production. And the Giants have clearly shown their lack and trust in you by your playing time, but they really don't have a chance this week. No, like I like I said, no Shepard, no Robinson, no Tony. It's it's going to be Kenny Galladay on the field. So this this is going to be one of two things, Harris. Really, it's it's going to be Kenny Galladay's nail in the coffin with the Giants if he's not able to go out there and somewhat be productive this week when he's going to have should have a pretty good opportunity and he's going to be and they're going to have to rely on him, or it's going to be the perfect vault point for him to get ingratiated back good with his teammates with his coaching staff go out there and play like himself of his uh, at least of his past form in Detroit and it could lead to better things to come so I think Kenny Gallard is a guy that we're going to have to really keep, keep a close eye on this week but it, it's it is a great opportunity for the Giants here at home a subpar team in my opinion regardless of what the record says go get another win Brian Dable ju- just lead him I, I think this is one where I think similarly to the Jets game, it's going to be more of a, a grittier type game. This is not going to be a high-flying scoring affair, but one that could easily be taken by the G-men. So that's that's really all all there is to say about New York football this week. We it, it was so fun to come on last week and and just ride ride the high waves. But sometimes when when it gets down, you, you got to be real and you got to talk about what is going on and what could be improved on. So that that's it for the the Jets and Giants this week. We think they're both in good spots to come out and get week four victories, but let's do our, our look around the league. And I think there's for multiple reasons, we got to dive in here on the Miami dolphins. So you go back to week three and they have had a couple strong performances to come out in the first couple of weeks. And there were going to be a lot of eyes on the dolphins this week, hosting the Buffalo bills. And they went out there and, and it was ugly at the end. And I mean, uh, the the butt punt, Mark Sanchez has been aweaved from his torment of the butt fumble. Also, Dan Orlovsky, we have Jimmy G run out the back of the end zone. Dan, yeah. you're free too. But the in, in non-typical Dolphins fashion, which has been pretty high scoring and explosive, the, the Dolphins were actually able to grind out a victory in this one. So the, the obvious storyline here is that Tua leaves the game with what to the naked eye appeared like, like a head type extremity injury we see him stumble he gets up and and he's not really able to maintain his balance something that is a telltale sign of potential concussion symptoms he goes back to the locker room is deemed to come back in and play by uh, i mean i've been doing a lot of listening and research on this topic it is a third party a third party doctor that evaluates these players so he was deemed good to go they put him back in the game and he actually plays well when he comes back in this game he comes out strong leads the dolphins to a win and then that leads to this week, Thursday night football. Let's keep in mind that's a short week, just three days between what was considered to be a head injury. And now we're putting them back out there on three days rest against this Bengal, uh, against a hungry Bengals team. And he essentially gets suplexed. And the, the Dolphins' nightmare scenario unfolds where he has to be carted out. I mean, some horrifying images of Tua, what looks like not being able to move his hands. Typically, you at least see guys when they're getting carted out a little thumbs up to at least signify that that you're feeling well in some capacity. None of that from Tua, a very scary scene. And now the Dolphins are in a spot where they're going to have to be relying on Teddy Bridgewater. 
and it totally puts a damper in what was such a great and fun start for for the Miami Dolphins. I mean, there, there was a lot of good in that week three win, a lot of bad and a lot of ugly in this week four loss against the Bengals. So I did a little research on the whole hands thing and, and him curling his hands after he got hit is actually a neurological reaction when you have a brain injury in a certain area. I mean, knowing that and watching it over again is an ugly scene. The fact that that whoever was uh, I forget who's calling the Thursday night games now, but whoever whoever's on and is replaying Al Michaels that. and Kirk Herbstreet. Oh no, but what, what what's it? Oh, they're doing it on Amazon. Aren't it's they? Amazon Prime, yeah. Yeah, the fact that they're do, the fact that they're replaying this and it's showing it over and over again is horrible. Uh, I, I mean, clearly he's got an issue there when his fingers look like they're they're. It's like an inside out shirt. It, it just looked like his fingers were inside out. I mean, it was terrible um so yeah that's that's the research i actually did on that um but now you know the nflpa is saying all this stuff about you know was he deemed ready to play on thursday night now there's two sides to the story did Tua demand he go out there maybe i wouldn't be surprised if he did you know he's a number one quarterback in the nfl he wants to win a football game um but at the same time it's like how, how do you not sense something is wrong there Right. Especially after Sunday, I, I just find it really disturbing. The Dolphins are now going to have to rely on Teddy Bridgewater. And you hope that this is only a one week thing because of all the reports you keep hearing Tua was allowed to travel with the team after the game that night. How absurd is that? That was mind boggling that after this whole disaster that unfolds in front of your very eyes, which a a lot of this is on the organization, whether it be the, the coaching staff, the training staff, the medical staff, Someone should be held accountable for, for what they've done to Tua, whether it's putting him back in that game on Sunday, allowing him to suit up in this game. And now we're throwing him on an airplane where you could be dealing with high altitudes, rapid pressure changes. And this actually gets leaked today that he was watching a movie with, with Mike McDaniel on the plane. And apparently the number one rule of concussions is not to look at screens. So it's, it's almost like this is like malpractice in every sort of the, of the manner. It's just like, they can, it's like, they're trying to sabotage this guy. What is going on here? It's like, I saw a tweet today, like ranking medical staffs to be trusted in the NFL, everyone else, the chargers and the dolphins, you have the the whole rib situation between Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert and the dolphins for what they're doing to Tua. Like it is like, you you almost can't even comprehend how this is how they're managing their franchise quarterback. It is such a mess. I just don't I just don't understand. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but in terms of the game, um, I think the Bengals finally you know were able to get a good win. I think that was important for them. Um, you know, Bengals Nation was able to show out. Joe Burrow looked like Joe Burrow. Um, so I thought it was a good thing for them just to touch on the game real quick, but you know, there's bigger situations here because we have some idiotic moronic organizations that are, that are sabotaging their players by letting them get on an airplane, you know, two hours after it looks like his, his, his whole hand is inverted because he's got a neurological reaction because his brain's all screwed up. I mean, it's just, there's not much more to touch on than it's just crazy. And now, you know, I'll say it real quick, you know, the NFLPA is looking into it now to, uh, um, to see, you know, what the cause possibly could have been of, of him being able to play in that game on Thursday. And, and uh, well, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens from there. I'm, I'm interested to see what this investigation comes down to. 
But yeah, diving into the actual game here, I mean, the, the Bengals, they're right back at 500. I think they, the early panic alarms were probably a little unwarranted. I think they were fair when it came to the un, the just the debacle that was their offensive line, but they protected them much better, as we saw against the Jets in Week 3 and now against the Dolphins in Week 4. I mean, T against Jamar Chase are as advertised. I mean, when we were talking about Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill, when it comes to best receiving cores in the league, I think T Higgins and Jamar Chase have a lot of merit here. I mean, I know Jamar Chase gets a lot of the flowers, but T Higgins, man. I mean, I, I, as, as a Syracuse fan and an alumni, I, I got to see him up close when he was at Clemson. And wow, does, I mean, he just, he's a hulking presence. He's fast. He's long. He just is such a playmaker. And, and, and having giving Joe Burrow guys like that, I mean, and we all know what Jamar Chase is all about. We saw it at LSU. We saw it in his rookie year last year. He has that connection. I mean, I mean, they're they're definitely still a force to be reckoned with. And and from the Dolphins, I mean, it's it's hard not to think about all things aside with Tua. And, and you obviously you pray for this for a speedy and healthy recovery. And and that's way more than anything you do on a football field. But when it when you come to the long-term outlook of the the Dolphins, I mean this team's ceiling is just so much more limited when you have Teddy Bridgewater as your starting quarterback. I mean, we've seen in recent years, whether it be with the Panthers or the Broncos, like this is just not a guy that is going to be able to sustain a high enough offense, especially in, in an AFC with so many high flying offensive teams, like the bills, the Ravens, the chiefs. Like, I just think this puts such a, you even saw it like, like the, uh, when Teddy came in, it was like Jalen Waddle was just like, a, like it was he was he wasn't even a part of the game anymore. And I know we connected with Tyreek for one big play that like bounced off someone's hand and then back in the air, and, Ty- and then Tyreek grabbed it. But like, if you're not going to be able to constantly force feed Tyreek and and Waddle like you have been in these first couple of weeks, I mean that sort of takes away everything that the Dolphins have that that's got them to what was three and zero and now is three and one. Like that that takes away their biggest strength, which is those electric receivers. Yeah, I mean, I love how people still hype up Teddy Bridgewater to be like one of the best backups in the league. It's just like, get over it, people. It's just not the same anymore. Um, but you're right. Jalen Waddle was such a non-factor in that game. And really, Tyreek just wasn't wasn't the same because the targets just weren't there. Um, but, I, you know, I do agree with your Bengals take, though. T. Higgins, I mean, what a great number two to have to Jamar Chase, right? I mean, they're 1A, 1B at this point. Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, come phenomenal. on. phenomenal. No, I agree with you. I mean, that you can have T. Higgins on a number one. He's a number one receiver. Most teams. Uh, I think on more than at least more than two-thirds of the teams in the league. So That's good. Sure. Yeah. I mean, he is phenomenal in the way he makes plays. Um, but, yeah, you know, this is going to be tough with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback now for the Dolphins. You hope this Tua thing is just a one-week thing. <laughs> the Dolphins may say it's a one-week thing, but it, it probably won't be. But, you know – this is going to be hard for them. I kind of feel bad because, you know, the Dolphins were competing a little bit and it was like, okay, you know, after all the nonsense that organization went through in the off season, you know, but you added as well, you know, and getting Tyreek Hill, you got over one hump and you're like, there's so much, so much anticipation on what they're going to do. They're three and O in a tough division, you know, obviously Buffalo's Buffalo and the Patriots can come on at any time. So you know, we'll see how this looks out for the Dolphins. Kind of feel bad for them, though. I do agree with you that this is a tough spot for them to be in. I mean, I would be stunned if he missed just one week. I mean, that seems like best, best case scenario. I mean, yeah. if they were to have him back for week six, I mean, like, I mean, I, I of course, I, I'm looking for the best, like, when it comes to the timetable, too. But, like, 
that that would ha- give me even more concerns about the Dolphins here. Like, like they, I, I think you're going to see they're going to be handling things with the utmost precaution this time around because they know the NFLPA has their eyes on them, the entire fan base, and, I mean, football fans as a whole are going to be paying attention to this situation. So definitely a huge bummer for the Dolphins, but it's, I mean, hopefully Teddy could game manage you to to hold the fort down until you get two back. But when it comes to the ultimate goals that the Dolphins have, I think it's pretty safe to say those are unattainable without Tua. So it's it's been a, a week of highs and lows for the for the Dolphins just in a span of a couple of days. You beat you, you beat the almighty Buffalo Bills and then you drop one of the Bengals on Thursday and lose Tua. So a definitely a situation to monitor going forward. But like any week in the NFL, there was there was a lot going on. I mean, the Jacksonville Jaguars, they have now officially now said that that this Urban Meyer disgrace is firmly in the past. How about a 38 to 10 route of the Chargers on the road? Now, we have to give the full context. No Keenan Allen, a clearly limited Justin Herbert. But I think that was a serious statement by Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence, man. This, the golden boy, the, the savior, I, he is coming. He looks really good. He looks way more poised. He looks under control. He's making better decisions. And the, the Jags, man, I mean... That was a serious, serious showing to put them to two and one. And, and they're going to get tested right again this week. They now go to the only remaining undefeated team left. The host, they're going to be hosted by the Philadelphia Eagles. So now you're coming off the high of this great victory. And now how about you play the only remaining undefeated team on the road, but Doug Peterson, you're going to be rallying for him. I mean, that is one of the most fascinating games of the week. I, I, I think that's going to be one everyone's going to have their eye on. I think if there's a coach that I'd want to rally for in the league more than anybody, I think Doug Peterson's right up on that list. I mean, that guy has, you know, you mentioned the Urban Meyer thing being done. I give a lot of credit to that, to Doug Peterson. I mean, the way that guy has changed that culture. You saw what he did with the Eagles and the way he was able to build a great culture there. Obviously, they won the Super Bowl and it didn't work out. But, I mean, man, it's just so cool to see that the Jaguars finally, after all these years of of mediocrity and and, and just poor organizational structure finally have a guy that is a leader and a franchise quarterback who quite frankly is playing really well and playing like a number one overall pick in just his second year in the league. So this is exciting. You know, Eagles, you know, they're a really good team. You got to give them credit, but I'm looking forward to that one. That's definitely one I looked at very closely when looking through the matchups for this week and said, okay, you know, you look at the storylines and you also look at what the Jaguars have done. And the Eagles' history, in you know, they're due for a stinker at some point. We know that out of the Eagles. You know, I think this could be the game where Jacksonville kind of puts the rest of the league on notice. I know it's it's definitely two teams coming in playing great football, and I think the Doug Peterson storyline is just an interesting little little narrative going on there. Coming back, playing his former team that he led to a Super Bowl, but I think that's when we definitely got to keep our eyes on another team here that I think when it comes to statements. This Lamar Jackson Ravens team is serious. We, as, as I've made it very clear multiple times on this show, I am all in on the Baltimore Ravens, and Lamar Jackson has me feeling really good about that proposition. I mean, he accounts for five touchdowns this week. They, their offense, I mean, Mark Andrews is really stepping up into that elite tier of, of tight end. I mean, I, I really don't know 
when it comes to pass catching ability right now, who I'd have more confidence in other than Travis Kelsey than Mark Andrews. I mean, they're they making it happen. You, they, and, and it's only going to get better because you, J.K. Dobbins now, who debuted this week, is only going to get healthier and only going to get more ingrained with the system. And th- this Ravens team, I got to shout them out here because they were my survivor pick for the week. So we move on once again. The Colts, I'm, I'll never forgive you for week one, but we had a buyback option. Packers come through week two. Ravens come through week three. I got to be honest, before the show, I did a good hour of research on who my picks this week going to be. I left that with a firm understanding that I still have no idea. It, this week is a minefield. I know everyone would think the Packers over the Patriots at home, but I used the Packers already. So can't do that. But nevertheless, the Ravens look really good. Lamar Jackson, I would say early MVP front runner. Yeah, and and I agree with you. Lamar looks incredible. He's going to live up. It's kind of like what Aaron Judge is doing right now to compare it to baseball. I was just going to say that. He's, you know, living up to it. He's going to just have a big baller year, and he's going to force the Ravens or whatever team to pay him a big ransom. And it's working out well for him. You know, the Ravens are a well-put-together offense. Like, you know what you're getting from Baltimore every game. You know you're getting a lot of points, and you're going to get – it's a pretty good defense, and you know what Lamar's going to do. He's great at throwing. He's going to use his legs as well. He's just that dynamic. But how about this matchup on Sunday that they got against Buffalo? I mean, you want to talk about a high-scoring football game that I think if you put in prime time would get ratings through the roof? I mean, that is a game that is going to be a bloodbath of offense, obviously afternoon on Sunday, but still in Baltimore too. You got a Buffalo team. We know what they could do. Bills Mafia is going to invade that building probably. And Baltimore ain't no easy place to play either. So I'm looking that I think of the games to look out for, that's the one I'm looking for, forward to the most. I mean, that would be, uh, I don't know about you, but like, that would be my AFC championship game preview right now if you made me pick two teams. I, I think those are just the two teams that look, look the strongest out in the AFC. And it's going to be really interesting. I, I like the fact that, the Ravens are home here. I want to see after Buffalo was able, fell short in Miami. I want to see how Buffalo responds with another tough road game. But yeah, no, the Lamar Jackson is, he is playing like his former MVP self. And that is going to lend itself to some really special things for the Ravens. And, and I got to say it now that like, just bringing up the Colts got my blood boiling again. So of course they, this week upset the Kansas <laughs> city chiefs. I mean, there was a second where I thought about going with the chiefs this week for survivor, but then I thought to myself, I'm going to let the Colts knock me out twice, once picking them when I, and they lose, and then I pick against them and they win. I was way too smart for that. So I went for the Chargers, and then Justin Herbert was questionable. So I'm like, I got an audible again, and I rolled with the Ravens, who made me happy. But I, I think this was, all joking aside, like not an obvious spot, but I think there was some sign to that this was going to be a good opportunity for the Colts to get that first one of the year. They're at home. They obviously had not got a win yet, so th- there was going to be some extra motivation there from that side. The Chiefs were undefeated, 2-0, riding high, potential fallback there. They, I feel like this is always a game that is played pretty tough. I mean, I can't say what year specifically, but that crazy playoff game from, I mean, at least five years ago when Andrew Luck staged that huge comeback. I mean, th- this has always been a little matchup that I think has had some juice, and 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 the Colts were able to just squeeze. They squeaked out a three-point victory against the Chiefs, so... I think that's pretty big for them. And they're, they now sit at one, one, and one. So they really, I, I think they get, they get the Titans at home this week. So yep. that, that's a pretty good measuring stick. I mean, a team that they've been battling with in the division for the, for the better part of the last half decade. So I think that should be a, a good competition and a good chance for the, the Colts to, to get things rolling towards what we expected out of them. 
And I think that's going to be a good game where you say for the Colts that they really need to win considering that it's in division. But, you know, I look at that game against the Chiefs and, you know, you look at it, it's like, man, the Colts really needed to win at some point. And, and of course, it took them a few games, but they do it against, you know, a, a, a very offensively powered Chiefs team. So, you know, you hope it translates if you're the Colts because everyone's got the Colts on this high rise. You know, Matt Ryan's going to revive at, at that old age. Jonathan Taylor's an MVP caliber running back. But, you know, maybe it takes a little while for them to put it together. But I think, you know, in that division, playing the Titans on Sunday, I think is a good kind of look at and say, hey, this is where the Colts are, are quarter of the way through the year. Uh, I think that's a good test for them just to see in the end, just assess themselves of what they need to improve on in week four, because this team should not be one, one, and one at, at this rate. And if they don't win on Sunday, I, I think the Colts uh, might be in a little bit of trouble just based on, you know, the way the season's kind of started out pretty poorly. Yeah. I think, I mean, that would put that put the Titans above them. And I mean, the Jaguars, I mean, I mean that this division is now opened itself up to a potentially a three team race. And the, obviously, I, I'm sure Colts and Tech, Titans fans are, are rooting for the Eagles here, but I'll put nothing past the Jaguars with the way they've looked. I mean, this this week, I mean, it's crazy. We went this far, haven't even mentioned the Chiefs and Buccaneers, a Super Bowl rematch from just a couple of years ago. What are two of the best teams? I feel like that matchup's just lost a little buzz. I mean, the, the Chiefs, of course, they're always a threat with, as long as they have Patty Mahomes and Andrew, Andy Reid, but obviously things are just way different without without Tyreek. I mean, it's, it's a pedestrian at best receiving core, Drew Smith Schuster, the rookie Sky Moore, Marcus Valdez Scantling and, and the Buccaneers there without Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones. I mean, like what was just a couple of years, a, a nuclear matchup of powerhouse offenses seems to be a little more tame this year. And, and the last matchup we got to discuss, this one is particularly funny because we each had one of these teams in our playoff picture and the other one didn't. I see you nodding your head. You know where I'm going with this. The Raiders and the Broncos. Now, while I probably should feel better because the Broncos are two and one and the Raiders are three and oh, I mean, the Broncos, like they are truly one of the hardest watches right now in the league. I mean, and they keep getting prime time and, and I'm forced to watch this Russell Wilson offense that can't do anything. I mean, it is like, Oh my God, Harris. I mean, like, I'm sure you have some thoughts on the Raiders, but like this Broncos team somehow is two and one and the Raiders are looking for their first one of the year. Like a couple of teams we each liked and out of this, what was supposed to be daunting AFC West look average. It's amazing that the poor, you know, we talked about poor organizations and just horrible ineptitude. I mean, the Oakland, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders over the last couple of seasons, I mean, you know, you get rid of this Gruden, you know, last year you do whatever, you know, obviously the whole incident with Henry Ruggs. Now you come in, you know, all this hype, Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, and you're on three. <laughs> I mean, who expected it's, that? It's crazy. Right? It's just weird. It's bizarre. And watching Russell Wilson is just like, it, it, it's like, who it's is like, he? It's like Where'd watching an old shell of, of uh, you know, I'm just trying to make a comparison here that we both kind of w- would. It's like watching Brett Favre with the Jets. It, it's it's not great. It's it's it's, it's not fun. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's going to be a weird game, too, because Vegas needs a win. They badly need a win, and it's in their building. I don't think Russell Wilson's going to be able to step up very much. Um, and you might hear another pick later down, uh, later down the line in this podcast, because I, I, you know, Russell Wilson just really is a poor watch. It just is. I'm sorry. Right. It's bad. Something tells me we're going to both be picking this game. And I think we're picking the same way, but 
I mean, it's just really like what a disappointment for two teams with big moves this offseason. Denver makes the massive blockbuster to get Russ and they pay him and we pair him with Judy Sutton. I mean, this is truly from a fantasy perspective and a real life perspective. I don't think there's many things that are frustrating me more this year than their usage of Javante Williams. This is a guy coming out of his second year. He was he was in a split backfield essentially in college at UNC with Michael Carter. They draft him and he has shown nothing but explosiveness since he stepped in the on an NFL field. And they just like have this obsession with split, splitting his touches with Melvin Gordon. I mean, I think Mike Boone almost got over 15% of the target share of the usage this week. I mean, Javante is such a playmaker is so, I mean, I, I like the, the word dynamic Javante Williams, man. And they just don't let him do his thing. They just will not let this guy do what they drafted him for. And it's just, it's really painful to watch. It, it's, I'm sure you saw this, that they brought in, I think they hired someone as like basically an assistant for Nathaniel Hackett for game day operations. Right, right. So, I mean, that doesn't say great things about his trust that you need someone. Of, of, is this a babysitter? I mean, that's not a he, he needs one. I mean, the way he's coached, that's coached the team all the first three, three weeks. I mean, that guy is just absolutely the most incompetent coach. I think we've seen so far this year. It's not even close. It's <laughs> no, bad. It's, 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 it's like, bad. I'd rather have a fifth grader run that team than Nathaniel hack. It's bad. It's like, it's, I'd take any substitute teacher at Matlin Middle School to run that team over Nathaniel Hackett. And we've had some good, bad substitute teachers. It's it's terrible what's going on with Nathaniel Hackett right now. It's terrible. I, I would like to think all of our Matlin subs are winning Russ Goford on that fourth down a couple of weeks ago. You'd yeah. have to think so. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, man. Give me Minicello I, to call the play, run it into the end zone. <laughs> I mean, we are in shape. Even though she was like four ten, you know, I mean, it'd be a lot better than Nathaniel Hackett. It's it's scary. This this is one of those games too. Like it actually is so interesting because the Raiders could officially be declared dead. I think if they fall to zero four here, that's pretty much wraps. And the Broncos have a chance here that they could somehow find the way to three and one. Who knows? Maybe they start hitting their stride. But if the reverse happens, the Broncos regress to the mean when it comes to win loss record. The Raiders get back on the board. I think a lot's riding on that game. I think a lot's riding. I mean, I really don't think a lot's riding, to be honest, on Chiefs Buccaneers. I think it's an interesting matchup, but I think both those teams are sort of going to find their way. Like we said, Ravens, Ravens, Bills is a great game. Jaguars, Eagles is a great game. It's it's a pretty, pretty solid slate here. So very excited to see how this this week unfolds. And, and I think that leads nicely right into our our picks. It was a banner week for Harris in the no point pick segment. He was able to to tie this thing up, and I'm pretty disappointed. I, I definitely, I got to put my hand on my chest and own it. I did not put as much thought into last week's picks as I should have. And it was the three-point pick that specifically irked me with going 49ers minus one and a half. Now, I think my logic of not trusting Denver worked, but it was San Francisco just also, I mean, Jimmy G looked rusty. They could not move that ball. It was one of those things where I was, I was almost picking against, it was against Denver more than I was for the 49ers. And the 49ers just sort of let me down there. But you nailed your three-point and two-point pick. I just hit my two-point pick. And we're sitting here at, at an eight-and-eight eight draw through three weeks. So I, I think we're – I mean, we're, we're doing this thing. It's it's fun. And and I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm keeping a heavy eye on my picks throughout this weekend. I want this thing. And, and, and we're, we're tied, Harris. I, it's, this, is, this is a big week. We're talking about the big week for these NFL teams. This is a big week for no playing picks. Oh, it's huge. Uh, you know, it's great because now I feel a little bit of life in me. You know, I'm back in the game. It's exciting. Um, and, you know, 
the more and more that we, we get close and now we're tied, the more research goes into these picks. So, you know, buckle up, my friend, because, uh, you know, I know we're going to have some good ones here. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess let's just get right into it with our with our three picks of the week. And it's it's kind of hard, to be honest with you. And I'll start with my three point pick. I'm going with my three point pick. You know, we mentioned Cooper Rush a little earlier on in the episode and the Dallas oh, Cowboys. Not. You know what? I'm going the Cowboys with my three-point pick, minus three, over the Commanders because Dallas is at home. So let's lock that in. You know, Commanders have not played very well this year. I think, you know, I'm riding the Cooper Rush train, to be honest with you. He looked really good Monday night against the Giants. So that's where I'm going here. Number two, we just talked about this matchup a little bit. Call me crazy, but, you know, history shows that the Kansas City Chiefs have played Brady and the Bucks pretty well, especially at Raymond James Stadium, the game I might actually be at. So I'm going Kansas City Chiefs with my two-point pick at plus one over Brady and the Bucks, And then my one-point pick, like we just talked about, the matchup of the week of two inept organizations, the Denver Broncos and the Las Vegas Raiders. I think it's time for my boys to get a win. Derek Carr and the Raiders. I'm going Raiders at two and a half over Denver for my one-point pick. And I hope that everything that I talked about in episode one finally comes to fruition when we're back here talking about episode five next week. So we had one common pick here and it actually happened to be our one point pick. I also went Raiders minus two and a half. I mean, I, I think the Raiders have too much talent to completely flop this season. And, and I think if they're able to pull it out, which I feel pretty good, they do. I, I like the two and a half line there. That's a big swing on the, on getting that field goal victory there. My, I mean, my biggest takeaway from your picks, the three-point pick on the Cowboys. I mean, that's a lot of faith in Cooper Rush. I know we talked him up earlier in the show. That's a lot of faith there. At minus three, obviously, you're, you have to rely on them winning by more than a field goal. So that's a pretty big swing there. Very interesting picks out of you. I Like I mentioned, we share, a, we share our one-point pick this week. My three-point pick is a team that I wish I could be taking in my survivor pool but I need to invest in them somehow. And it's the Green Bay Packers at minus nine and a half. They, they got me here with a touchdown and a field goal. And without Mac Jones, I mean, regardless of Mac Jones health, the Green Bay Packers are one of the better teams in this league. I've made it very clear that I think the New England Patriots are going to be a massive disappointment. And in Green Bay, no Mac Jones. I think this is an absolute steamroll for Green Bay. Minus nine and a half. I, I wish I could throw all five of my points on the Green Bay Packers this week. but. That's not how this works. So I made my three-point pick, Packers minus nine and a half. And I feel like I had we had to have some action on this Eagles-Jags game. And you might be surprised where I'm going here. Give me the Jags plus six and a half. Give me the cover. I think they're able to not lose by a touchdown, even though they're on the road. I, I think I would definitely pick the Eagles to win this game. They're they're def- I think they're the more talented team, and they're obviously at home. But like I said, the Jags are going to be playing for their head coach, Doug Peterson, and they looked good enough to make me think, are they really going to go into Philly and lose by a touchdown or more? So, something tells me no. So I think that was an, that that was where I felt comfortable at at my two point pick for the Jags. So we uh, once again, I think this is a huge week that there could be a lot of swing here. If one of us hits our three and two point pick, all of a sudden one of us is right back up in a huge way. There's a way that we that we're right back where we were in a tie. I I, I like our picks here. Very interesting stuff. Yeah, it's good. And keep in mind, you know, we have had some common picks o- over the weeks. We do not interact about our picks before we get on 
the podcast, just to keep the viewers uh, in note of how we do this. This is just pure. We look at the lines ourselves. We do our own research, and then we kind of surprise each other when we get on. And, you know, I like keeping things spicy. I like keeping it a little interesting, you know. Oh, I mean. So, you know, Cowboys is a ballsy pick. Don't get me wrong. I like my Chiefs pick because of past history, and, you know, the Raiders are a wild card because we don't know what they're doing. So who knows? I like keeping it exciting just for the listeners, just to, you know, obviously keep tabs with us. But at the same time, you know, Go for it a little bit. Not suggesting you make a pick to lose your money, but, you know, why not give something a shot? Oh, there is absolutely zero interaction over these picks. We are here to, to, to win this thing. And we're, and of course, there's always a certain level of entertainment value. And that I think is going to come. If this thing is, is tight down week 15, 16, 17, I mean, th- there's no limits to how long I'm going to put in to making sure that I make these picks right. Because, the inaugural no playing pick segment. I mean, I think we're definitely in some capacity going to have to to pick some basketball games once season's going. Obviously, it, there's there's games every day, so we're going to have to figure out a way. Maybe we do our our, our pick of the week or, or something to that extent. But I, I think this this segment keeps things spicy. It gives me something to besides my four fantasy leagues, my survivor pool, all of my wagers. It gives me just. And, and of course, my New York Jets, it gives me yet another layer of things to, to keep an eye on because I, when, I, when, I make, when I put up that, those tweets on the at no play and use Twitter recapping our week, I prefer putting check marks next to my picks and not the big annoying red X's. And last week, I had two of those and you only had one. So that was upsetting. Haven't been able to log on to the Twitter yet. Just been a busy man, but I'm excited to hopefully get some more checks when I get on there. You know, this is a, it's exciting. It's good. We got more sports coming too. You know, the NBA is coming up. We're obviously really excited about that. Um, some optimism. I see the Brooklyn Nets eating at my favorite pizzeria, Lucali. So we'll see if they can bond together and see what happens. But, uh, you know, plenty of stuff going on in the world and, and we're happy to bring it to you. You know, I know, um, I hope everyone's out there staying safe from Hurricane Ian. The storm has followed me from Tampa up here to North Carolina, which is disappointing. But, uh, you know, going to go back to Tampa on Sunday and, and and see how it goes. Maybe go catch TB12 in the Bucks. But, you know, other than that, you know, hope you're staying safe out there. And hopefully we, you can use this as a uh, not only a place to get your information for for NFL and all things other sports eventually down the line, but just to, you know, have us there for, as uh, as some good entertainment for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't echo your sentiment more. Uh, be safe out there. Serious, serious stuff going on in, in a, lot of, a lot of places are being affected right now. So I think that's always got to be the number priority. And like you said, the, the NBA is coming in. We're getting really close here. And, and I, I am really excited for this NBA season. I mean, it is a sport like no other when it comes to it almost plays out like a, like, like a drama series. There's just so much that goes on both on and off the court with with the NBA players that I think it's going to make for some really fun conversations and stuff. We're obviously going to hit you guys with in-depth Knicks and Nets breakdowns alongside with our full NBA predictions, similar to like what we did for the NFL, but that's all stuff to come. I mean, big week here coming up in the NFL, very exciting times ahead. And I think that's, but all we got for you guys today on the no plain views podcast, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and rate and review at five stars. We are on Spotify. We're on Apple podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at no plain views. We want you to interact with us, talk about our picks, but the Jets, talk about the Giants, say where we're right, say where we're wrong, wrong. We're here for all of it. We want to keep building this thing and we are here for you guys. And with that, I am Brandon Mintz. He's Harris Eisenberg. And that is all for the Known Plain Views podcast.